Matthew chapter 10 is where we're going. Matthew chapter 10. And let's pause and ask the Lord to bless our time in His Word, shall we? Father, thank You for the privilege that You've given to us to open up the Bible once again. Thank You for these that have gathered here throughout the day. And Lord Jesus, I pray that You would do a mighty work in every single heart. Lord, I pray that You'd bind Satan far from this place. May he have no influence whatsoever. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd minister to our hearts, those that are gathered in this place during this very important and festive season. I pray that we would have our eyes fixed on you. Lord, not let the distractions of all of the materialism and all that goes along with it take our eyes off of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to keep him front and center and paramount in our thinking. And I pray that you'd use this message to clear up any struggle that someone may be having. And we'll thank you for what you do because we ask this in Jesus' precious in wonderful name. Amen. I'm speaking tonight on a subject that I don't know that we're supposed to speak on. That perhaps we're supposed to just assume is all solved and everything's all right in our lives. But it's a very important subject that sometimes gets overlooked and sometimes never addressed. And as such never get solved. I want to speak to you on the subject of doubt. Doubt in the Christian's life. And I want to draw for our, our focus tonight, our attention to one Christian who's known as filled with doubt. Matthew chapter 10, the Bible says that, that here Jesus picks and chooses his disciples. And in this passage of Scripture, it says, When he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Here in this list, he gives us Thomas in verse number three, Philip, Bartholomew, and Thomas. We know to him as doubting Thomas. But Thomas didn't stay doubting forever. He went through a valley of despond or a valley of doubt, but he came out doubtless. And tonight, for a few moments, I want to preach to you on the subject from doubtful to doubtless. And I want to see from the Bible, how Thomas moved from doubtful to doubtless. And I want you to see how you can move from doubtful to doubtless. The truth is, is that Thomas struggled with doubt. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 in the scripture tells us and shows us where Thomas began to doubt. I, I, I want to draw your attention to John chapter 11. This is a passage when when. Lazarus, Jesus' friend, dies. And there are a lot of things that don't make a whole lot of sense 
that take place in John chapter 11. To the casual reader and even to those that have been saved for some length of time, there are just some things that don't seem to add up. Look at what it says, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Now, that's the first thing that makes us have a question mark. What? That doesn't make sense. Jesus would come when Jairus would call for him. Jesus would come and take care when the woman at the, with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5 was in need. Jesus would come when the disciples were out on the boat and they were in distress. But now when Jesus finds out about Lazarus' sickness, he stays. Why did he do that? Verse number 7, the Bible says in John chapter 11... Verse 6, when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. This was confusing to the disciples because they responded in verse 8, his disciples saying to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. This is another point where you would put a question mark in the margin, or you would say, What? And obviously it didn't make a whole lot of sense to the disciples, because they thought that Jesus was talking about Actual sleep, verse 13. Howbeit Jesus spoke of his death. By the way, when Jesus speaks of someone who has died, trusting Christ as their Savior, he sometimes refers to them as asleep. He never refers to someone who has died, not trusting Christ as their Savior, as asleep. Do you know why? Because they're not at rest. Someone who has never been saved, whether it's you here in this room or someone listening by way of live stream, if you've never been saved, my friend, you're not at rest. You're not at rest before you die, and you're certainly not going to be at rest after you die. The scripture says the wicked are like the troubled sea. When it cannot rest, it casts up mire and dirt. And when a person dies, they go headlong to a place uh, called hell if they've never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. So, But he speaks here of Lazarus and says, Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. In other words, the whole point of what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is about to do is so that you might believe. By the way, that's his point for whatever's going on in your life. I don't know what difficulty you're facing or what big hurdles of doubt you're going to have to overcome or you're trying to overcome right now. But I know that the whole point of this is so that you might believe on the Lord and trust in the Lord and not lean on your own understanding. 
verse number 16. He says, verse 15, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, aha, this is the guy we're trying to study tonight. And this, by the way, is the first time that we have recorded words of Thomas. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Does it sound like Thomas didn't understand what God was doing? It, it does. In fact, he didn't know what God was doing. And, and Jesus didn't go to help him when he first heard that he was sick. And then after he, he says, Jesus said he's sleeping. And then he tells them that, that he's not actually sleeping, but he's dead. And now he says, we're going to go unto him. And so Thomas says, I don't know what's going on. Let us also go that we may die with him. Verse 17 then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But, but I know that even now whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said unto her those immortal words, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Mm. So there are several things in this passage that, that are hard to be understood. And they just don't just register at first glance. And, 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 and Thomas, even in the midst of the context of it all, was trying to figure it all out and couldn't. Turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, the Bible says in verse number one, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, you know. And the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, ah, this is Thomas again. Thomas, the one we're studying. Thomas, the one who couldn't figure it all out in John chapter 11. And in fairness, I think a casual observer probably can't just figure it out. And he was right in the middle of it. But now Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas says, uh-uh. <laughs> Look at what he says in verse number five. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? You see, at this point, Thomas seemed like, it seemed to Thomas like Jesus was speaking in riddles. How many of you love riddles? Two. How many of you don't love riddles? Yeah, I don't, I don't like riddles very much. I mean, I, I like them if they're not too hard to figure out. <laughs> now, my wife likes riddles. She's, she's got a brain that's much more advanced and progressed than I. But, but I, she likes things like that. I, I don't like things. I say it to me just the first time, and I'll get it and figure out and move on my way. But Thomas here, he was saying that it almost like, <clears throat> like, uh, like 
he didn't know what Jesus was talking about. Can you stop speaking in code? Whither I go, you know, we don't know where you're going. And we, if we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? You see, I kind of get the idea after reading the first two times that Thomas spoke that Thomas was a planner. He liked to plan. He liked to plan. I, I said to those in the leadership meeting that my wife and I are different. Opposites attract. And I'm very attracted to my wife. And so, uh, so I, I want you to know that, that opposites attract. And so, so I'm not the planner. My wife is the planner. She likes to look at the route before we go. She's probably already looking at the route home to figure out which way to go. You can't do it during church, Amber. Anyway, she's, she's looking to figure out what, which is the way to go and how are we going to go and, and uh, what, what are some stops along the way and is there Chick-fil-A along the way? That's always an a important stop. And she's the planner. I'm not the planner. I like to figure it out when I get in the truck and pull out to the edge of the driveway. We can figure this thing out on the way. And, and uh, you know, I, that's the way it is. Now, how many of you, I just want to know my, audience and see who is here tonight. How many of you are planners? You like to plan things out in advance. You like to look at things ahead and analyze it and plan it. Okay, good. All right. How many of you are my non-planners in the room? You're, you're more spontaneous, you know, just jump in and enjoy the ride and, and uh, okay. All right. Now, good. Uh, I think Thomas was probably a bit analytical. And maybe at times... He got what we call the paralysis of analysis. And this is probably one of those. The, the way, the way we, we don't know the way because we don't know the destination. We don't even know what you're saying. Thomas was very analytical, trying to figure it all out, asking questions, asking more questions, asking questions about the questions, trying to figure it out. Now, I don't mean to in any way impugn uh, those that are analytical or planners here tonight. Just because I'm not a planner doesn't mean I'm better than anybody else. But I do want to say that sometimes planners can fall into this rut of doubt. But you know, even non-planners can fall into the trap of doubt. The devil's darts are filled with the poison of doubt. And he wants more than anything else for you and me to be paralyzed with doubt. No forward motion comes with doubt. No stepping out by faith comes with doubt. And Thomas right here is struggling with doubt. Now I want to give you a few principles before we go to our final passage on this thing of, of from doubtful to doubtless. And I want you to know that when doubts come, there are some ways that you should respond. Number one, answer every doubt with the certainty of Scripture. When doubts come, this is not a time for your analysis. Now, some of you, I'm sure, could analyze things much better than I. And I'm sure you can make the trip much more enjoyable and much more comfortable by your analysis. But I want to say to you that struggle with too much analysis or paralysis of analysis, your analysis doesn't come anywhere close to the final analysis. And the final analysis is God's word. That's very important to understand. Uh, you'll look at one issue or you'll look at a doctrine or you'll look at a nuance or you'll look at a characteristic of God or you'll look at things in the Bible that sometimes don't seem to reconcile or you'll look at uh, this or that or any of us can and we'll analyze and we'll question. Sometimes, sometimes deep valleys can make someone who's not analytical very analytical and paralyzed in their analysis and struggling with their doubts 
And because they can't figure it out and they can't put it on a spreadsheet and they can't put it on a graph and they can't figure it all out and reason it all together, they just give up altogether. No, no, this is not a time for your analysis. It's not a time for men's philosophy. When doubts come, this is not a time for, for you reading all of men's opinions on the subject. This is a time for you to answer every doubt with the certainty of Scripture. Thus saith the Lord is what is needed in the midst of your crisis. What God has to say on the matter. You need to bury yourself in the book. You need to bathe yourself in the book. You need to surround yourself with the words of the Bible. You need to see what God says on the matter. And if God doesn't say anything on the matter, then the secret of the Lord is with the righteous and the secret things belong to the Lord. And you need to give it over to God and lay it down at his feet saying, Lord, I don't fully understand this. I'm not sure I can comprehend this. I don't know. But Lord, I trust you. Even though I can't see, I trust you. You've been down this road of hurt and down this road of struggle and down this road of satanic attack and through this valley. In fact, you're the lily of the valleys. I'm going to trust you in the midst of this time in my life. Answer every doubt with the certainty of Scripture. You cannot pr improve on the final analysis. And the final analysis is right here. This book. God's Word. You can trust it. So answer every doubt with the certainty of Scripture. Uh, men's philosophies will be only so uh, able. Men's ideas and men's opinions and men's counsel will be only so able. A few years ago, I was going through a difficult struggle and I was seeking some counsel on the matter. And I, I got counsel from this person. And I got counsel from that person. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. And so I began to get counsel and good counsel and from godly men. And, and I got varied counsel. And some said, attack the matter physically and, and address it that way. And some said, a, 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 approach it emotionally. And some said, approach it scripturally. And some said, approach it medically. And, and finally, at a certain point, Pastor I just had to say, I'm just going to take all of this and I'm going to set it to the side. Not disregarded. I've already tried to implement some of it, but I'm going to go to you. And God, if your counsel doesn't help me, nothing will. The, there are many devices in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord, that will stand. Now watch, God will use men and God will use good counsel. And you shouldn't be without good counsel. But the truth of the matter is, you must, you must answer every doubt with the certainty of Scripture. Number two, when doubts come, choose to view your doubts through the lens of God's love and truth, not the other way around. Let me say it again. Choose to view your doubts through the lens of God's love and truth, not the other way around. Now, uh, you ha have at times experienced this, uh, that you have gone through difficulty and you view everything through that difficulty. I'll just use my cell phone as an illustration of difficulty because it does give me difficulty at times. And so I'm going to use it. And many times people view God's truth and God's love through their doubts, through their difficulty. And, and, and people come to them and say, well, I'm sorry for this. And I, I'm so grieved that, that you're going through this. But, you know, God loves you and you can be assured of that. And this is the response. Well, yeah, I know God loves me, but let me tell you about my trouble. Oh, it's some really serious trouble. And this is what I'm going through. And this is who's caused it. And this is where it's going. And this is what I don't understand. And I can't figure that out. Why, oh, that is bad. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. But, boy, I just don't want you to forget that God's love, God loves you and his truth is true. And his word is, is true. And his promises are yea and amen. Well, yeah, I know I got that. But, boy, let me tell you about my problem. How many of you have ever been around somebody like that? Oh, yeah, it's hard. You try to point them 
to God's word. And sometimes you have to just be quiet for a long, long time. But every once in a while, you genuinely give them a nudge toward the word, but it doesn't seem to do any good because they're focused on their problem. They've got it this way. But some people, watch me now, they view their problem and their doubts through the lens of God's truth and God's love. And you go to them and you think, oh, what they've been through. Oh, how am I going to help them? What could I say that would even benefit them? You think, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And you go to them and they're immersed and they're awash in the love of God. And, and, and you say, yeah, but don't you have a problem? Oh, yeah, I do. But, but you know, God's love is going to take me through it. And God's so good. And isn't God good? And you say, yeah. <laughs> and you find yourself struggling with doubt. You say, wait, aren't they going through a problem? Yeah. Aren't they going through trouble? Yeah. They've just chosen to look at their trouble through the lens of God's truth and God's love. How many of you have ever been around somebody like that? Yeah. And you walk away blessed. Say, I went to be a blessing to them and they were a blessing to me. Last year, I had a nephew and his sweet wife and, and they, they had their baby die. They, they were putting all the kids to bed and somehow their, their little one-year-old just got to the door. Somehow she got the door open, went on the back deck and fell into the pool. She drowned. It was just heart-wrenching. And uh, I was in a meeting. I drove all the way from Ohio down to the funeral and drove back again to preach. I got back home and I said, honey, we got to go see him. So we went to see him. I went with some of my children. I said, I don't know what we're going to say, but let's only bring it up if they bring it up. And we ate with them. We talked about life. We talked about family. And, and their kids, they sang and they played their instruments. And we walked away saying, my, how the Lord is helping them. How's the Lord helping them? He was. And you know what he had taught them in the brief moment of all of that to do? They had learned quickly how to look at their difficulty through the lens of God's truth and God's love. Now, I'm sure that there are probably days when they're difficult. And God's since given them another precious little girl. I'm so thankful for that. Oh boy, if I don't learn how to look at my trouble and my problem through the lens of God's love and truth, and I look at it like this, I'll be crippled the rest of my life. Amen. Now, I don't have to be. I'm not saying it's easy. Hey, folks, look, I'm not saying it's easy. Sometimes the difficulties that we face are incredibly, incredibly complicated and incredibly dark. And sometimes they last longer than we like. But they will, they're, they're, their influence on us will be determined, great or small, by how we look at this problem. Am I going to look at God's love and truth through the lens of my problem or my problem through the lens of God's love and truth? Uh, let me say, number three, when doubts come, not only should you answer every doubt with the certainty of Scripture, not only should you look at your problem through the lens of God's love and God's truth, but number three... Don't forget what you know. Let me say that again. Don't forget what you know. Uh, sometimes it's easy to forget what you know. But don't doubt in the dark what God gave you in the light. Amen. Don't do it. 
Don't forget what you know. It might be the loss of a spouse. It might be the betrayal of a friend. It might be some false doctrine that you've been exposed to. It might be some wrong emphasis that you've heard. It might be some confusion that you've read or seen. It might be some difficult circumstance that you cannot understand or reconcile. Doubts come from a myriad of directions. Years ago, I was preaching in a camp. And while I was preaching there, I, I was done with a message and I went to the back and I was shaking hands with people, young people that were coming out, talking to them. And a counselor, a lady counselor took me by the hand. She looked me right in the eye and she said, thank you, Brother Dwight, for your message yesterday on such and so. She said, it really helped me. She said, I've been struggling with the existence of God. What? I said, how diabolical is our foe? How wicked a fiend is the devil himself to come right here in this sacred sanctuary, in this Christian camp, and not attack a young person that is just trying to find their way in life? That would be bad enough, but attack one of the counselors with the idea of the existence of God, whether he exists or not? And I believe this. This is, again, something we don't like to talk about because we're all supposed to pretend everything's all just fine and good and you don't really have enough time to get into it when you're going through handshake time during the song service or before or after church too much because, because people are coming and going and have responsibilities. And so sometimes you just, just move along, just pretend like everything's fine and we don't talk about it, so we're not supposed to talk about it, so it never gets dealt with. But I believe if we could see who in this room tonight may be struggling with doubt, we would end the service right now and the invitation would begin and there wouldn't be room at the altar for everyone. We'd be praying for ourselves. We'd be praying for our neighbor. We'd be crying out to God. Why? There is a foe and his name is the devil and he's coming at you and me with his darts of doubt and he wants to get you down, take you out. I was preaching in a meeting with a, another preacher and we had wonderful meetings together. And towards the end of the camp, I, he said, you know, why don't we do a Q&A session? Uh, these kids have heard some preaching. Let's do a, some question and answers. I said, OK, so that's a good thing. So they began to write down their questions and, and we would look through them and he would moderate it. So he said, here's a question. If you doubt whether or not you're saved, are you really saved? And I got up and I said, well, I said, it's important to understand what saves you. It's faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. When you receive his gift by faith, his gift of salvation, he saves you. Then I said, it's important to understand where doubts come from. I said, sometimes they come from our own weak flesh. Sometimes they come from, from someone who has in, intentional evil, a, a, evil intended for us. Sometimes uh, they, they come from a false teaching or a false teacher. Uh, I said, sometimes they come from the devil himself. But I said that, that God's currency is not doubt. And I sat down. And the preacher stood up and said, Now, Brother Dwight, I, I don't think that the doubt is always from the devil. Sometimes God uses doubt. And I got up and I said, Well, let me follow up with the fact that God doesn't work through doubt. He works through conviction. He will say, This is right. This is wrong. Either you're right or wrong. If you're wrong, get right. If you're right, stay right. And that's the way the Holy Spirit works. This, the devil doesn't. He works through a currency of confusion, not conviction. And so it bothered me that the preacher would say that. And so when I got on the plane the next day, I took my Bible app out and I began to look up every time the word doubt is used. And I can say with the absolute authority of the scripture, God does not use doubt. 
God can work in spite of your doubt. God can help you out of your doubt. God can prevent you from being caught up in doubt. But God does not use doubt. That is not a tool in his toolbox at all. And so, so don't forget what you know. Don't forget that you know God loves you. Don't forget that. He loves you with an everlasting love, an unconditional love, an amazing love, an indescribable love, an unfathomable love. Don't forget that God loves you. Don't forget that God is in control. I know that's sometimes hard because it seems like this whole world is spun out of control. Am I the only one that kind of thinks the world's gone wild? I mean, crazy wild. Uh, I don't know if anybody's struggling with it down here, but sometimes where I travel, they're, they're wondering whether guys are guys and girls are girls, and they don't know the difference between the two. You know, I was preaching out in Iowa just uh, yet last year and out in Iowa, in the middle of rural Iowa, you wouldn't think they'd be struggling with things like this. It was so rural, the town water tower looked like a cigarette. I mean, we're talking redneck. And, and uh, way back in the sticks, right there, right there in that little town in the public school, they were struggling with furries. Furries, children that identify, teens that identify themselves as animals. And, and if that weren't one thing altogether in and of itself, the principal said, okay, well, we'll put cat litter boxes and cat food dishes out for them. That principal ought to be fired on the spot for abuse, for shame that any adult would act that way and tolerate such foolishness and not seek medical and, 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 and spiritual counsel and help. What foolishness that is. This world's gone wild. But watch, don't forget, even though the world's gone crazy and out of control, God's still in control. God's not the author of this wickedness. He's just working in spite of it. And I want you to take your, your, your pen and write down these five things that will help you in this matter of God working. This is very important. You can write it on the uninspired page of your Bible. That's the pages front and back that don't have scripture. Watch this. Write this down. God is working. God is working. That's very important to know in your life. I hope you'll just have that emblazoned in your heart. God is working. He's working all over this country. From the rising of the sun to the setting down of the same, the, his name is to be praised. And From the middle out there in the Pacific, the beginning of the dateline, all the way around the globe, all the way, the Lord's name has been praised today and praised wonderfully and beautifully and, and in a hallowed and a holy way and in a mighty way. To the envy of all politicians, his name gets more attention in one one Sunday morning than all the politicians do combined in a lifetime. Thank God for that. And that's the way it ought to be. God's working in that. Do you know there are about 15,000 independent Baptist churches in this country? If in one third of those churches this morning, one person was saved, you know what that means? 5,000 people were saved today right here in America. And that's not just possible. That's probable. God is working. Number two, God is working here. He's working right here. Sometimes we think God works somewhere else on the mission field or he works somewhere else in somebody else's life, but he never works in mine. No, that's not true. God is working. God's working here when I can't see and when I can see it. God is working right here, right here. God is working. I need to know this. I need to rest in this. I need to believe this. God is working. God is working here. God is working now. Sometimes we read stories of biographies and we say, wow, God worked great back then. Praise God for what he did way back then. I wish he would do it now. Or sometimes preachers mistakenly say it's been 150 years since we've had a great revival. And that's just not true. God's worked in amazing ways and revived his people in some incredible and life-changing and earth-shattering ways and long-lasting ways. We just maybe don't see it or don't know about it. God is working now. Number four, not only is God working, God is working here. God is working now. God is working mightily.
He, he's not somehow impotent. Oh, he's got to go to the gym to work out to up his muscle mass so that he can do something against the devil. Do you know that everything the devil is doing right now is out of desperation and defeat everything? He lost completely at the cross. And so everything he's doing is to regain lost ground and to hold on to those that Jesus Christ is reaching out to redeem. Everything he's doing. So God is working mightily. God is not the loser in this. He's not even behind on the scoreboard. God is working mightily. Number five, God wants to work through me. God wants to work through me. He wants to work through my life right now. Not just through me as a preacher, but I want you to write down and put your name in there. God wants to work through you. He wants to work right here, right now, mightily through you in this day and hour. You ought to know that. Don't doubt what you know. God is in control. God loves you. God is good. Don't forget that. Don't doubt what you know when you're going through darkness and when the doubts come. Watch now. I want you to turn to John 20 and we'll be through. Look at John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, I want to draw your attention to verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week. By the way, you should underline that and mark Sunday evening service next to it. We have a Bible verse to support Sunday evening service. Jesus appeared on the evening of the first day of the week on a Sunday evening service. You can tell that to all those that are banding it all together. Verse number 19, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst. Jesus came in the house <laughs> and saith unto them, why are you guys hiding? Is that what he said? No, he came with a beautiful message. Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed them unto him, showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. They heard about it. Mary had told them about that. Mary Magdalene, the two on the road to Emmaus had told him. Peter and John had said it was so. But now Jesus came amongst them and they were all there. Ten of them. Judas Iscariot, of course, is gone. But ten of them were there. One wasn't. Verse 21, then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you. As my father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Watch this now. When doubts come... Answer every doubt with the certainty of Scripture. Choose to view your doubts through the lens of God's truth and God's love, not the other way around. Don't forget what you know. Are you ready? When doubts come, don't disappear. Don't disappear. Thomas was gone. Where was he? Well, we don't know. We, we, we know where he wasn't. He wasn't with the others in the upper room. He wasn't with them hiding behind locked doors. He wasn't with them assembled. They were afraid of the Jews, and you would be too. He wasn't with them. Where was he? Do you know what Thomas means? The same thing Didymus means. Twin. Did you know that? Is there anybody here that's a twin? Oh, okay. Identical or fraternal? Maybe, maybe Thomas was going to seek out his twin. Twins have a common bond. Maybe, maybe he had a twin. He had a common bond. And, and he wanted to say, can you help me make sense of all these events? Maybe he was doing like Peter and going back to his old vocation saying, I'm done with all this. I go a fishing. 
I don't know that fishing was his vocation, but maybe he went back to his old vocation or at least he was thinking about using his tools again, whatever they were. I don't know. Maybe Thomas was just down at the corner store buying milk. I don't know, but he wasn't there. He wasn't with them. He wasn't where Jesus showed up. I don't know about you, but I, wanna, I don't want to miss that. We know it. Maybe, maybe he was at home and the live stream didn't work. <laughs> I don't know exactly what it was. But he wasn't there. Verse number 24, but Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. Are you ready? When doubts come, number five, be careful what you say. This, this time of doubt, this is not the time to make grand declarations. This is not the time to write your theological position. This is not the time to say what you are and what you aren't or what you'll do and what you won't. This is the time to be quiet. Say, Lord, I don't understand it. But you're no less God and you're no less good because of this. I'm going to trust you. Be careful what you say. I wonder how it worked when Thomas preached through the Bible from this point on. When he came to John chapter 20 in his personal devotions. I wonder if he read it and said, why did God have John put that in there? Maybe he just skimmed over it and hoped nobody would ask him questions after the service. But it was there. The Bible is a book man would not have written if he could have and could not have written if he would have because it tells the plain naked, unvarnished truth. Hmm. Maybe they said, Thomas, we saw him, we saw him, we saw him. He said, saw who? Jesus. He was here. The doors were locked and he showed up right there in the mist physically with us. And he said, look at the prints in my nails and, and we could put the pr fingers in his hands and look at my side. Ah, bah, humbug. That's what he said. <laughs> I don't believe in all that. Unless I put my fingers in his hands and put my hand in his, I will not believe. Words that he would regret as they echoed through the hallways of time. But I'm sure glad they're in the Bible, aren't you? Because they tell us, hey, if it happened to Thomas, it can happen to you. You better beware. Watch now. When doubts come, answer every doubt with the certainty of Scripture. Choose to view your doubts through the lens of God's love and truth, not the other way around. Don't forget what you know. Don't disappear. Be careful what you say. And then look at what the Bible says in verse 26. And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. This is the second Sunday night service. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. <laughs> is that what he said? No, again, he came with the same message, peace. God wants to answer your fears with his peace. And by the way, peace is a central theme of this season. And it ought to be. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Verse 27, Then saith he to Thomas, he did have something to say to him, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. 
and be not faithless, but believing. Wow. Praise God. Praise God. I wonder what Thomas felt when that was said. Maybe he looked up and saw Peter, but Peter no doubt was not caught. No doubt Peter was looking at him with love, not, not discouragement, because Peter knew what it was to take his eyes off Jesus and to sink because of it. Maybe he was looking over at Bartholomew or maybe he was looking at James and John, the sons of thunder, who thought that they would get a chance to sit second in the seat next to Jesus and, and, and were rebuked. We don't know exactly what was going on, but here Jesus came to him with a second chance. Watch this now. I want you to remember when doubts come that Jesus Christ is the God of the second chance. How many of you are glad he's a God of the second chance? Well, I am. And third and fourth and fifth. Thank God for his mercy. And then he comes to us the second time. Notice verse 28. It says, and Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Number seven, when doubts come, move quickly. Don't doubt forever. Move quickly from doubt to faith certainty. Didn't take him long. Didn't take him an analysis. He didn't have to read five commentaries and watch two YouTube videos on the subject. Jesus was right there in the midst. He could hear his word. He could see the prints of the nails in his hands. He could thrust his hand into his side. And Jesus said, be not faithless, but believing. And a good verse that Thomas gave for all the cults and Mormons and Jehovah's Witness, he fell down and said, my Lord and my God. Praise God. Notice verse 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Who's that? That's me. That's you. We've never seen Jesus. I've never seen him. We've seen artists depictions of him. We've seen actors depictions of him. How tall do you think Jesus was? I think he had to be about that tall. And I just have to believe he was probably a tenor. I mean, look, uh, I, you, you, you just kind of, you, you can probably figure out what he was and how tall he was. But look, we've not seen him. We've not heard the timbre of his voice. We've not felt his touch. But someday, blessed be God, we will. We've not seen him, but we believed and we worshiped him today. And there's no one more worthy of our worship than the precious Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. He said, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Watch this. You say, preacher, do you, do you really? You struggle with doubt? Are you kidding me? Preachers struggle with doubt. Are you kidding me? We, we don't know. We don't know. Sometimes people come to us for answers and we don't know. We give them the word of God, but there's some circumstances we can't figure out. You say, what do you struggle with? Buckle your seatbelt. I don't understand. I don't understand why my sister was 44 when she died, leaving 11 children behind, nine still at home. I don't understand that. And I doubt you do either. I don't understand why my cousin, 48 years old, died, her husband, 53, and two of their three children in a single car wreck 10 years ago. I don't understand that. Leaving one child behind, she was in college. The president of the college and her RA had to take her out of a, a play she was watching and tell her, you don't have a family anymore. I don't understand that. 
I don't understand why some, some couple that's kept themselves chaste and pure and holy until their wedding day try and try and try with all that they have and they cannot have a baby. And some lady or man that goes around and, and, and is as immoral as a barnyard animal and can have 15 different kids from seven different people. I don't understand that. I don't understand why a preacher who does not preach the word of God can fill a stadium with his false teaching and a preacher who does preach the word has to claw and scrape and work and pray just to get a little semblance of a crowd. I don't understand that. But there are more things that I know that matter than I don't know that don't matter. And God can sort out the rest of what I don't know. You see it? Sometimes the things you don't know. And it's not wrong to ask your questions and God's not afraid of your questions. Oh no, here she comes again. <laughs> that lady's constantly, what am I going to do with her? I, I, I'm busy. I'm just not going to answer the phone. I'll push busy on it. Won't have to answer. No, God's not. That's that way. Yes, his shoulders are big. He can handle your question. Now you better be sure when you ask it, you ask it with a teachable spirit and with an understanding. He may or may not answer your question. I don't know that Jesus answered John the Baptist's question to its full satisfaction because John the Baptist still was beheaded. But he walked into glory with his shoulders squared and with his head squared on his shoulders. And it was all right. You see, I want you to know that when doubts come, not only are these things that we've discussed true, but I want you to know that when you fall at Jesus' feet, and worship him, he'll use you again. When you fall at Jesus' feet and worship him, he'll use you again. You know what they tell us about Thomas? That Thomas traveled from Israel all the way over to India. You just put that into your Google Maps. That means he went all the way from Israel to India, passed through what was modern day Iraq and Iran and, and go through the Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan region, get through Pakistan, get to India and preach the gospel. You don't do that if you're doubting. He moved to a position of doubtless. And he was, was martyred in the end. You don't do that if you're doubting. And he had such an impact on the precious Indian people that to this day, 2,000 years hence, often when a man gets saved and takes a Christian name, it's Thomas. That doesn't happen if you're doubting. Thomas moved from doubtful to doubtless. Amen. Some years ago, I wrote this for a, for a son, one of my sons who was struggling because I don't know, maybe you're struggling tonight, and I so, with all of my heart, want you to move from doubtful to doubtless. I love you more, his words rang out so fair, from little lips and sparkling eyes and locks of white blonde hair. I love you more, came my reply so deep, from daddy's love a cavern wide and growing heap by heap. Oh, I love you more, from here up to the moon, his smile flashed with soul-felt song of heart notes all in tune. I love you more from here to Mars and back. I said to him, my precious son, to help him stay on track. I love you, Dad, 
he said to me again. His voice had changed and teenage years had come to wield their reign. I love you too and always will, don't fear. My love for you grows by the day and stands your heart to cheer. I love you, Dad. Do you still love me when? Temptation swirls around my soul and sweeps me out in sin. I love you more beyond what words can say. I've been there too in deadly drift and almost swept away. But I'm, I'm not sure of anything right now. My heart hurts deep. My mind's unsure. And you still love somehow? I love you more. You see, a while ago, my heart hurt too with mind confused. I sought the truth to know. I saw Christ's wounds and sought the answer true. Do you love me, though I have caused these scars of shame in you? His look and words brought calm within my heart. I love you more than this world's hate can muster or impart. Before I set the planets in their place, before the streams spilled down the mount and filled the ocean's space, before man sinned and ate the fruit forbidden, before in shame he snatched fig leaves and for I found him hidden, I set my love in motion towards man's soul and set redemption's plan in place and wrote it on a scroll. That love is true and sure, you need not doubt. On hate's cruel cross I bled for you to cast sin's power out. I love you, child, and always will, don't fear. Its constant and unchanging sort can wipe away each tear. And so, my son, my love you can't ignore. Because of God's true changeless love, I'll love you all the more. With tears fresh glow, he nodded to agree. I, I think I understand just now. Your love for me I see. It mirrors Christ's eternal love and for this truth I'm grateful and so glad that dad... You love me more. Hey, hey, your heavenly father loves you. Don't doubt it. Would you bow with me in prayer? <clears throat>